0: Separates us from so many other um, religions and beliefs of people is our God is so personal, so personal that he came down, his son came down so that we can know that at every point where we struggle, where we are tempted, that he's gone through the same thing. Praise God. Isn't he, we have a, such an amazing God this morning. Um, go ahead and take a seat. Last week, um, we had... Uh, sort of an amazing thing happened. And Millie, come on up. Uh, what I know is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Bible in Hebrews thirteen eight tells us. And last week, you know, sometimes God wants to do something out of the ordinary, which for him is not out of the ordinary, but for sometimes us, it is. It's not what we would usually see on a Sunday morning. And last week was one of those episodes where God wanted to do something that I wasn't ready for him to do, but um, be ready in season and out for what God wants to do in our lives and in our church and our community. And so last week, uh, if you weren't here, we had a lady who actually... Um, passed away in our service right after service right after uh worship and uh she had passed away for about 10 to 15 minutes didn't have a pulse wasn't breathing and if you were here we prayed over her uh believe for the power of god that jesus is the same yesterday today and forever that he still does miracles in this world and in our community in our church to show the light of his power and and his grace And she came back to life, and that's what the Lord did, and it was powerful, and God did an amazing thing, and um, Millie just, you know, Millie has a prophetic gift, and she looked back and saw in the Spirit what was going on, and I just asked her to share uh, what she had seen.
1: When I looked at her, I thought, she's dead, and I thought, no, I shouldn't think things like that. You know, but I, I put out my hand for prayer, and I knew there were prayer wars in the back and in front and everything, and were praying over her. And all I could see is her face, and it was white, mm-hmm. totally white, and everything. And then uh, about this time through the service, as people were praying, our pastor went around, and he put his hand on the back of her neck, and this is what I saw. I saw life come into her because I saw her cheeks begin to turn pink and everything like that. And then she blinked. And it was amazing to me to see as unity of the Holy Spirit, everyone worked together by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that lady was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Mm Hallelujah.
0: You know, it's amazing to see what God does in the community that he has created and and seeing Twan pray and and lay hands and just everyone who gathered around just seeing uh, the power of what God wants to do here. And I'll tell you what, I know that God has a plan and a purpose. That didn't just happen here because it was circumstance or happenstance. It happened because God wanted her here, not only so that she could come back to life, but so that we could see what God wants to do in this community of believers. Because we are all about Jesus and what he wants to do. That's why we are his church. That's why we are Jesus church. So uh, I, you know, uh, two weeks after Easter, we're going to go through what God is calling us to in 2017. And I'm doing it after Easter. So all the CEOs, the Christmas and Easter onlys, um, so that they will be here and they can see what God wants to do. And hopefully will want to be a part of that. But I know that God, yes, that you can use that sometime if you want. You can even say that you made it up. I didn't make it up. I heard so. I'll say it, but um, but I, I know that God's got some amazing things that He wants to do through this community of believers, and I'm excited to walk that journey and that path with every single one of you. Um, but today we get to go through part seven of our book of Ephesians, which we were going to do last week before God had different plans, and I thank Him for His His different plans. Uh, but this series is called "Transformed," uh, talking about. Paul, who writes to a group, a community of predominantly Gentile believers, young believers, believers that have pretty much all just became followers and believers in Jesus. And so they're not familiar with the history of God, of of what he had done through the Old Testament and, and through the people of Israel. And so they were very acquainted with gods in the lowercase g sense of the term um they understood the spiritual realm and they had felt that before but the way that they had experienced the spiritual is in terror and and in fear and if i don't do everything right and and follow everything that this um this spiritual being tells me to do, then I'm going to be punished, and they're going to get back at me, and there's going to be vengeance on me, and, and they're going to mess with my life and, and hurt me because of of what gods are like. And so... This part of the of the passage of um, the book of Ephesus, the first three chapters, the six chapters, first three chapters are very theological: who is God, who is God to us, who are we to God? And then the second half, chapters three or four through six, are very practical: how do we live this out? And so we are at the very end of the letter. This is sort of the climatic conclusion to the letter. And remember. Paul didn't have a cell phone or email to say, oh, yeah, and this other thing as well. He had to get everything that he was trying to get to this group of people out to them in this letter. So this is a, a chapter, chapter six, that is packed full of powerful uh, in te- teaching and instruction And this is such an essential letter, and Paul knows that because what these people don't know yet, this is a very healthy community of believers that is growing, but this community is about to explode. In three or four years, um, Paul's top disciple named Timothy is going to come and pastor this church, and when he pastors this church in a city of 250,000 people, the church will explode to 25,000 people. So it was very significant, and this will be the portal where people will go and evangelize to all of Asia. So this is a very important church because of the significance of what they are going to do and the the teachings of Jesus and the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will go to all of the world in the Great Commission, and a large part of that is funneled through this church in Ephesus. So that's sort of where we're at, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 10, if you will follow along as I read out loud. This is what it says, finally, this is Paul, at the very end, finally, after everything that we've talked about in the first five chapters, finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Would you pray with me this morning as we um, dedicate this time to the Lord, Father? We we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the great things that you're doing in this church, and we expect, Lord, and we know that in consistency with your character and who you are, that you're going to continue to use uh, your people and teach your people how to become more like you, Lord. Please help us to um, really see uh, what you want to speak to us this morning, Lord, and that it wouldn't just be a word for today, but Lord, but that it would really change our lives, Lord, that we would expect and know that you have something for every single one of us today, no matter what situation or scenario we find ourselves in, that can change our lives forever, Lord, and that you wouldn't just change our lives, but that you would change our lives so that we could see other lives change, so that we could see other people come to the good news of the gospel and the hope of who you are and what you have for their lives as well, Lord, that this would be a place where we could go out, Lord, to be the city on the hill, Lord, that we would ignite a fire in the community that we live in in our neighborhoods in our families in our schools whatever it might be in the place that you have put every single one of us that this would be a place of gathering to send out the multitudes to you jesus lord so we expect this and we believe it in your name we ask these things in jesus name everyone said amen Amen. well um I got a question I want to start with, um, just looking at this scripture. Uh, how many of you guys have cats? Like, be honest with me. Okay, you have some of you guys have cats. You know, that's amazing. It is amazing to me, because over the last three years, I have said some very offensive things to people, not that, who have cats. I don't say offensive things to you, but about the things that you have in your um, houses called cats. And... <laughs> You know, the reason I say this, I mean, it's not your fault. Like, I'm jaded from my personal experiences. I, I have had a dark past when it comes to cats. And, you know, we, we tried a cat once, and it didn't go well. Uh, I just didn't like the way it tasted. So, it, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I like the way it tasted. It was like chicken. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> we have fun in church? Okay. Okay. Um, well, my cat it, it went crazy. It, it made my bed where I put my head at night its litter box. So uh, I was scarred for life. So you can have a cat, just don't judge me for not having a cat. I mean, I went over to Josh and Sherell's house, and they and I and they have a cat, and I still went. So I mean, I, I can still like be friends with you, um, and I actually think they taught their cat to like me because it was like rubbing up against my leg the entire night. I'm like, what do you think? I'm gonna like cats now, like. Thank you. It has hair all over my leg now. Oh, that's great. I, it's actually Josh's cat. It's not even Sherelle's cat. Sherelle's a dog fan because she's a Seahawks fan. So the, we do that. But I, I've no, I have this cat. But I like dogs. I'm a dog person. And. Um, I will never have a cat. My wife's not in here, but she knows I will never have a cat. But I love dogs. I grew up with a dog. My dog's name was Dodger. It was a Blue Merle Shelty. I loved <laughs> L.A. fan. Um, but I love my dog. And I taught my dog how to uh, do tricks... Uh, I taught him to sit. He was super smart. He could shake. He could play what hand is a treat in. Uh, Just an amazing dog. And I love teaching my dog. So about six months ago, we got our kids a dog because, you know, we need to have a dog. And my son is obsessed with animals, loves animals. And so we thought we need to get him a dog. And his name's Charlie. And something you should know about Charlie uh, before I talk about him is when he gets excited, he will go to the bathroom. No matter where he is. He goes to the bathroom. So you have people over, and he goes to the bathroom. You get really excited about something he did right, and there he goes again. Basically, you can't do anything with this dog without him doing something you don't want him to do. So I taught my dog to sit. and Charlie, I taught him to sit, and... I got real excited because he did it really fast. I was like, great. He knows how to sit. This is awesome. So I brought my family and I was like, hey, guys, look. And so they saw that he sat and they're like, wow, they're all amazing. They thought I was the dog whisperer. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. So I take it one step further with them right there. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach him to stay now. So so I'm, I'm looking at the dog. And I'm like, Charlie, stay, stay. And, and I sort of stand back a little bit. And I'm like, stay. And, and he's like, he's a dog that's like very energetic, like goes crazy like just sitting. So he's like shaking and like you'd see he's in his head. He's like, I wanna be where the people are. I mean he's just like going crazy and so but he's staying and then i turn around and as soon as i turn my back he comes flying at me as quickly as possible so what do you do when your dog or anything for that matter isn't going the way you want it to you raise your voice and so i tried again charlie stay just stay and of course he went to the bathroom on the ground and so (laughs) my dog never learned to stay he could sit but he can't stay And the reason I tell that story is because when I'm looking at the passage that we're looking at this morning, the emphasis of it, which is consistent with so many passages in scripture is the importance of staying or standing in our faith, staying in the reality of what Jesus has accomplished, what Jesus has finished for us. Because so many of us, just like my dog, Charlie, God is saying, just stay there, just stand there. But the moment that we think that God has has turned his back or he has gone to do something else, we just want to run. We want to go do something for God. Because, you know, as humans, we define ourselves by our deeds so many times or our doings, what we've done. And Jesus wants to give us a new definition of who we are. And that's not by what we can do, but what he has done. On the cross, what did he say? He said, it is is finished. It's your wrong, your sin, your error from the past, from the present, and the future. And that canyon of imperfection between you and God has now been bridged by the person and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So the goal is to live in this reality, not adding to Jesus's completion, but simply to receive, to respond, and to rest in the reality that it is finished. So Paul, he goes into this essential Critical letter and, and he starts in in verse 10 with finally be strong in the lord in the power of his might He's saying, I don't want you to lean on your own morals or your own strength or your own ethics. I want you to lean on the the strength and the morals of Jesus and the power of his might, the strength of his might. And so Paul, he intentionally ends this letter with this reality that God's strength and power, it's available to every single one of us, that we need to trust in his power and his strength and his grace and not your own because if you're trusting in your own, that's not Christianity. Christianity isn't about what you and I can accomplish in our own uh, fortitude or our own ability or our own strength. That is religion and it's dead, it's lifeless, and it has no power to change your life, existence, or destination. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he goes on to un- unpack this soldier war metaphor that so many of us have heard before. He says, put on, in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So Paul is saying life on this planet is very similar to war. And life, let's all just agree that life is challenging. Life can be difficult at times. And I believe in 2017 that for every single one of us that God has amazing things. But let me tell you that the best year of your life doesn't mean it's going to be the easiest year of your life. That's not what we signed up for with Jesus. We didn't sign up just to have an easy, cush way of living We signed up for jesus because we know in the midst of the hardness and the struggles that we go through We have a rock we have a firm foundation that is constant that is consistent and that is the person of jesus christ So it's not about just having things easy. It's about knowing the person when it's hard And paul says put on the whole armor of god. Why? Why do we put on the full armor of god? Well, you would think it's so that I could go engage with the enemy You would think that is so I could go win the war I'm geared up. I'm ready to go. Let's go do something But what does it say in verse 11? It says put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand Now to a lot of us we read that and we've read it so many times that it's not really odd But if you were to read that for the first time or somebody in the world were to read that that would seem very odd it would seem very much like it doesn't add up because I just got all dressed up in this armor. I am ready to go. I am fully protected so that I can go engage and attack the enemy. And what does God want me to do? Like, like seriously, you want me to stand? Of all things, and this is one of those paradoxical spots in Scripture where you get all of these war clothes on, you're ready for battle. Why? So you can stand? But God, I want to do something. It's already been done. And I'm not saying that we don't do anything for the Lord, but your your foundation and who you are in Christ is not based off of going and attacking the enemy. And the reason that you put on all this armor isn't so that you could go out and prove yourself to God, because what he says is to stand, to stay stable, faithful, relying, resting, peaceful on what the finished work of jesus christ is but i want to do something that's very nice of you but i want you to receive i want you to believe i want you to trust i want you to rely on me and what has already been accomplished for you ephesians six twelve. it goes on it says put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood now the reason that it says this is it's interesting that he he goes to this place of flesh and blood and the reason he says this is in the first 9 verses of chapter 6, uh, which we didn't go through because of time, but he talks about practical relationships. He talks about relationships with, with people in your life, whether it be a marriage or kids or bosses or coworkers, employees, all of these different people that you come into contact and engage on a daily basis. And Paul wants us to remember who the true enemy is. So in verse 12, what he's telling us is that the real enemy is not your ex-wife or the real enemy the problems that you have are not with your boss or with your employees. Or with that annoying neighbor that won't ever do anything to make their yard look nice. I, that is not where your problem lies. And I think a lot of times if we're careful, we start thinking of each other as the enemy because we don't talk the same way or we don't act the same way or we sometimes don't even believe the same way. And, and we start to fight each other. And what better way would the enemy come against us than to believe that, that those people in our lives who Jesus died for are the enemy. And so what Paul says is you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Paul gives us the clear reality that, yes, you do have an enemy, but it's not who you think it is a lot of the time. It is not your boss. Your enemy is the devil, and he is real. He hates you, and he wants to kill you and destroy you. But you have nothing to fear, for God wins. No, I don't know about you, but this is so practical for me on Monday because when I'm driving and the person in front of me is at a green arrow and they decide that they're going to text message somebody and not pay attention so that I miss the green arrow, that is not my enemy. That was the spirit of the devil in them that's my enemy. But no, just kidding. It's, sometimes I think so. But, but that is not our enemy. It is, our enemy is not flesh and blood we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Remember, these people, they understood spiritual forces they understood mysticism and witchcraft and magic and, and the gods that they believed in and would worship and so they they understood this they would they would get in their culture what was being talked about here and then in verse 13 it says take therefore take up the whole armor of God. Now this is very redundant, but remember he deviated for a minute to remind us who the real enemy is. And now he's getting back to the subject. So it says, take up the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand in the evil day, having done all, what are we going to do? Stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. Okay, Paul, we get the point. You want us to stand (laughs) like time and time again. He keeps talking about standing, but he wants our lives to be defined Not by our deeds and our doing, but by the doing and deeds of Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to stand there. I want you to live there. I want you to receive that and trust that. And now let's talk about terms for a minute because it says to put on or to take on and that can be very misleading because when I'm thinking of armor and putting on a breastplate and a helmet and a belt, I'm thinking about doing things like that makes sense to me. Okay. This is takes a lot of effort. This is heavy armor. And, and what you have to understand is the word that's used here for take on or put on. It's not what you think it is because it's not so much about this huge effort. The word that's used is anilambano, which means to receive from above it literally means to sink into a garment it's the same idea that jesus gave in luke 24 where it says and behold i am sending the promise of my father to you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high to put on means to f eff- that effortless moment that god clothes you in his reality well, let's not get caught up in the languages that is used. This is a willingness to receive from God, not a determination to do for God. That's what it's talking about, to receive these gifts that God has put on you so that you will be able to stand. And then Paul, he goes into talking about these gifts, this armor, uh, which is used as a metaphor of God giving gifts, which are able to allow us to live a life that is faithful and stable in him. And remember back in Ephesians 4, uh, God tells us that he wants us uh, to live in a way that we are not swayed by the trends and the concepts of our culture that he wants us to be able to be firm, stand, be of sound mind, that he doesn't want you to be pushed around mentally or physically in life, but he wants us to stay in that spot just like little Charlie was supposed to stay. But how do I do that? How do I stand? How do I stay? How do I trust? And so he gives us these um, metaphors of these gifts that um, he'll explain um, of every single one of these of these things, um, so he starts with the tr- with truth. He says, "What is truth like?" He says, "Truth is like a belt." Now, when you look at a Roman soldier, remember we have to take the context of the people who are hearing this. They are visualizing something in their minds based off of the world that they live in, and so the Romans would be the soldiers that they would be thinking of. So, you have a Roman soldier, and we have to understand that the point is not ancient armory. <laughs> Paul is not trying to just tell us about these little action figures that have all this armor on them, and yeah, I can be like that little action figure. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that at all. The point is what, of what he's saying is truth. He talks about the belt, but what he's talking about is truth here. So how does truth enable me to live and stand consistent for Jesus? Well, if you look at the the belt that he was talking about it 's more like a, a girdle it's very very tight, and underneath the this belt would be straps of leather and they would protect the legs, but they would also give tons of freedom to move and be m- mobile instead of a toga or whatever else that a Romans would regularly wear they'd have this belt with this these leather straps, and it would give complete Freedom of mobility. And you know what? I've heard that somewhere before in the scriptures. This is what it says. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what God is saying here is that he has given us a gift called freedom. Truth brings freedom. The world that we live in says if you try and put absolute truths on people, that you will um, stop them, that you will marginalize them, that you will ostracize them, you will restrict them. So that whatever they want to think truth is, is truth to them. And whatever is truth to you is truth. And that is true freedom. But the Bible teaches us something completely different. That there are truths, that there are absolute truths. And that truth has the ability to set you free. Paul says that we need to stand firm, and one of the ways that we stand firm is is through truth. That's one of the gifts that God gives us. The next gift is the gift of righteousness. Again, this isn't, the point is not the breastplate of armor, but it's, Knowing and recognizing that righteousness is a gift that is given to you It's not because of something you can do It's not because of something you have done 2nd corinthians 5 21 again says for he made him who knew no sin become sin for us that we might become The righteousness of god now righteousness is your right standing with god The fact that you can now relate to god in right terms in the right way in the only way that that is possible Is if your sins are dealt with if my sins are dealt with so you can now relate to god only because jesus made that possible and if you can believe in that that this breastplate of righteousness is part of your life and you can put righteousness on no matter what your feelings and emotions say you can know that you are right with God, even in your bad days, even in your struggles, even in your failures, when my heart tells me that I'm bad because of what I've done, I must be able to understand that I can relate to God still because I am in right standing with him. And when we walk out and I no longer feel right because I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated, I feel shameful or displaced a million miles away from God, I can know if I don't have the breastplate of righteousness protecting my heart and my emotions, I won't be able to stand. I'll give in. But you have this gift called righteousness. In 1 John 3.20, it says, if, For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. What brings on condemnation in our heart? It's our emotions. Our emotions is what's being talked about here. Paul says that you have a breastplate that will protect your heart because you know that you have right standing with God. And then in First John, the next verse, 321, it says, Beloved, If our heart does not condemn us, if righteousness covers your heart, and it's not allowed, the enemy and the lies of the devil are not allowed to infiltrate our lives and attack our emotional center and our heart, we have confidence towards God. So if your heart is protected, you know that you are righteous And you've been given righteousness, so no matter what your temporary lack of judgment or loss of temper or whatever that might be, you can have confidence knowing that God loves you and has put you in right standing anyways. That is the gift of righteousness. It's the gift of confidence. So we have freedom and the gift of freedom, which comes from truth, and we have the gift of confidence, which comes from righteousness. How, how powerful and how amazing are those two things? And he goes on next to talk about peace. What is peace like? It's like shoes. Now, in the Roman soldier's um, outfit, when you looked at the shoes, they had these very... Um, heavy duty boots. They also had sandals, but they had these boots that they would wear. And obviously the metaphor is only to drive home the point that God has given us these amazing gifts on his behalf. But when I think about shoes, I think about Converse or I think about Adidas or Nikes. And that's not really the imagery that a person in in Ephesus would be thinking about. Um, In the Roman soldiers army, these boots that they had, they actually had these very big nails on them. And the reason that they would have these nails is so that when, when they would come together as a group in, in a line that they could dig these nails into the ground. And when those nails were dig, dug into the ground, no one can move them. So the enemies would come against them and attack them. And the belief of the Roman armies and probably anyone who ever saw an army come together and come to establish themselves with, these, with their feet just nailed and, and established onto the ground, they would have believed that no one in the world could ever move them if they stood together in unity. And Paul says this is like peace, shoulder to shoulder, So what does peace have to do with shoes? Well, if you have no peace, then you won't stay when the enemy gets closer. Paul is playing on this picture of a soldier who retreats. And the only reason that you will ever retreat is if you think you've been defeated or if you think that you've lost. Paul says in the midst of your enemies running at your face, stand. Don't move. Don't retreat. Because you have shoes on that will hold you in place and let that be your peace, knowing that nothing can move you if you have God in your life. Peace, that, pers- that passes all understanding. Uh, this goes against so many things that you and I would think in the natural that if, if somebody is running at me, I should either do one of two things. I should run at them or I should run away. <laughs> and, and that's not what Paul says. And that's not what the Holy Spirit saying. He's saying, stand your ground. Because the enemy will not be able to overtake you. Even if circumstances seem out of control. Even if you think your life is unraveling around you. You have the peace of God inside of you. That he is faithful. That he is true. That he is in control. And whatever happens, we win. We win because Jesus won. He goes on next to talk about the shield of faith. And faith is like the shield of a Roman soldier. Now, faith is trusting God. Faith, from what we see in the Bible, is being so aware of God that you become more aware of trusting in Him than any other circumstance that you could ever see in your life. Any other storm that could be raging around you. Whether you're you're in pain or you have loss, or agony, or anguish, whatever it might be. You don't need to lose your head. You don't need to lose your mind because you can be confident in the faith, in the awareness of the God who is around you, who takes care of you. And then Paul, where does he go next? He says the shield will be able to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy. And and so you could read this and be like, wow, the enemy has. Uh, Fire darts. Like, who knew? Like, that's crazy. But that's obviously, it's not the point. That's not what he's talking about. When Rome would fight their enemies, sometimes the enemies would have these arrows that would be lit on fire. And one of the, the shields that the Roman soldiers had was a leather shield, and they would dunk it in water and saturate it with water. So when the arrows would be flying and hit their shields, it would immediately be extinguished. What Paul is saying is when the enemy shoots those firing, those fire arrows towards you, those darts towards your life, if you have faith in God, if you have a full awareness of who he is, those darts will be extinguished the moment that they hit that shield. The moment that you have that hits that faith, that awareness of God. It's not a shield, it's the awareness of God, understanding how great and how powerful He is. And in my life, there is. So much drama, like going all around me, either it's it's me or if it's uh, people who I'm in contact with, we hear it all the time. And I want to be the type of person who, when those things come at me, I am so aware of God and of what he's done and how big he is that those fiery darts that come towards me, they are completely obliterated before they can get anywhere near my life. Because of the faith and the awareness of God that I have, that I can live in the reality of God, that I know through anything that my life is gonna be okay. That God's going to take care of me. That I don't have to run away, but I can stand firm because of this great awareness of how good God is. And so if I can be that way as a friend or as a pastor or as a dad or as a husband, I want to be able to stand and whenever something comes at me or whenever something comes at you, that I can stand with you and you can stand with me and we can stand with each other and say, our awareness of who God is is so great that anything that the enemy would try and fire against us, has no place and will be extinguished before it gets anywhere near us that is the shield of faith that is powerful stuff and then he goes on to oh just salvation (laughs) and i don't have much more time so this is an impossible sermon to get all through all of it but paul says that this is like a helmet what does a helmet do a helmet protects your mind Again, the the point isn't the helmet. The point is that salvation guards your mind. So when your thoughts get out of control, that you can remember who you are in Christ Jesus, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you have salvation, that you are saved. And this will give you a sound mind, protect your mind against the, the, the weapons of the enemy. And this will allow you to stand. And it will also keep you humble because you have been saved, which means that you didn't do it because somebody else saved you. And then he ends with the sword of the Spirit. James, if you could come up. Um, now, when he, we talk about the sword of the Spirit, a lot of times we fixate on the sword, and, and we look at it as the Word of God, and and we start thinking about the sword, and, and the, the sword is my weapon, and the sword is the Bible, but remember the emphasis Is on the spirit it's not on the sword it's on the spirit So what we have gone through is you have been given truth you have been given righteousness You have been given peace faith salvation and lastly paul says you've been given the spirit of jesus christ Now notice how the spirit of jesus and the bible are brought together through scripture Um, a very popular verse that many of us know is hebrews four twelve. the word of god is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart now in ephesians 6 when it talks about the word of god what the the word actually that is used there is the word rhema the word rhema means that uttered by the living voice In Hebrews 4, the word of God that is spoken is the word logos, which means the living voice. So the sword of the Spirit is that uttered by the living voice, which is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We have to understand what the Word of God is to every single one of us, what the Scriptures are to every single one of us. They aren't just morals. They're not just history. They're not just rules, regulations, or a way to live. This is the weapon of Jesus himself. This is the Word of God, which is the rhema of God. So the Word of God is powerful because it is given to us from the God of the Word. And when I realize that this is a gift from Jesus Himself, that I am using the weapon of Jesus in my life, that He loves me, that He cares about me, that He is intimately involved in my life. I'm just not just reading some things that are gonna help me when I'm having a problem. I have the person of Jesus Christ Himself in me this isn't just words on a page it's not just talking about scripture it's talking about the person of jesus and when we understand that we wield him as a weapon that he is there teaching us that he is there training us that he is there instructing us what does is first or second timothy 3 16 say all scripture is breathed out by god it is the voice of jesus himself in your life and it is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in what righteousness because we're in right standing with him because our hearts our emotional centers of our lives have been protected by jesus himself how do we stand paul says we need to stand god says i want you to stand how do you and I do that? You do it by continually reminding yourself yourself, of your standing, of who you are in Christ Jesus. The whole entire point of Ephesians, time and time again, Paul is saying, remember who you are. You are not who you used to be. Even if there are times temporarily where you mess up, or where your brain goes somewhere where it shouldn't go, that is not who you are. Remember your standing. Remember who you are. Remember your position. Remember your righteousness. Be protected in your heart. Be aware of God. Stand in peace knowing that He is not going to let you be overtaken by the enemy. Remember your standing. And not only should we remember our standing, but we need to tell other people what their standing is or what their standing can be because there are so many people out there, Christian or non-Christian, who have completely forgotten who they can be in Christ or have never even heard it. And that is the good news of the gospel. And that is the word that we need to bring to communities, being a light on a hill that cannot be hidden, that we have a standing, that we are in right standing with our Creator And there is nothing that can move us from that point. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you that you have put us in a place of right standing with you. Not by what we have done, but 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 by what you have done. Lord, that our right standing isn't by works or deeds, but it's by you and you alone.